Let's pray together. Lord God, I still remember that night, June 28, 1988, you awakened me. God, I'm so grateful for Alexis this morning who was baptized, who made public profession of her saving faith in you, Lord Jesus. You'll remember November 17th, 2016, you brought her from death to life. Her heart will never be the same because of your grace that is alive and at work in her. So now, Lord God, trusting that your spirit is at work in your word, mindful that you are calling us to, to more than, than what, what we have uh, accomplished up to this point by the power of your spirit, we ask now that you would speak through your word and challenge us appropriately. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hate to say it, but we are finishing this series on the family, and I sure don't want to be done with it. This has been so meaningful to me. I pray it's been impactful in your own life, uh, but we got to move on. Next week, we'll start talking about serving and how crucial that is to our own spiritual development and to God's kingdom purpose. This morning, we're going to finish off this family series. I want to remind you again what we've been saying all along. Who you are, what you've become, what you're going to become has everything to do with nature and nurture. In Christ, we've been given a new nature. It was promised to the prophet Joel. We were told we were going to get a, a new spirit, a new heart, a new mind. And for those of us who believe, we've gone from death to life, from darkness to light. And so we have this new life of Christ in us. And that's now our nature, but it's got to be nurtured. And it's nurtured best within a family of faith. We've been saying this all year long. We're going to keep saying it. We are better together. And family is better together. And we got to understand, this is not about me. This is just not about individuals. It's about we. And we have got to get that into our thick schools to understand that our faith is our faith. And we are meant to be in a family of faith where we can become all that Christ has called us to be. We know. We know that, that Christ has called us to be salt and light to the world. We do that best together. We know that we are to live as missionaries right here in our city. It's not by coincidence that we live here. It's by providence. You're on a mission trip. You are here just as we have missionaries that live in, in, in East Asia and Southern Europe and West Africa and Portugal and all places on the globe. You're here. I'm here as missionaries. And what's our message? Our message is a message of reconciliation. We are called to live as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, right here, right now. And how do we do that best? We do that best together. We're better together. And today we're going to talk about how important it is that we be mindful of our words. That our words not become detractors from the kingdom purpose of Christ, but rather encouragement for those who don't believe and for those who do believe. And so as we speak of this day, one of the things that is crucial to get in your mind is what, what we're talking about is how we, we're responsible for each other's reputations. Because see, your reputation and my reputation become the reputation of this family of faith. Living Hope is not a building at 1805 Western Street. Living Hope is a people that have been called by grace through faith in Christ alone to be in covenant together under Jesus Christ. And so what people outside of our faith say about us is determined to a great extent by what we say. Not only by how we live, but also by what we say. And so this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna look at our words. We're gonna be mindful of how important our words are and, and how we've got to be in the business of protecting one another's reputations. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me right now to the book of James. We're gonna be in James chapter four, verse 11. And, uh, 
Andrew Champion is going to come and read for us. So Andrew, if you would, make your way up here. Thanks, buddy. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word as Andrew reads this uh, very important text. It, it's, a, it's a scripture. We're going to look at some of the others. That, that it's, a, it's a reference that, that James continues to make. So look in verse 11. And Andrew, if you would, read for us chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew. If you would, go ahead and be seated. With your Bible open there, go ahead and go with me. Go with me um, back a chapter. Go back to, um, go back to chapter 3 of James. Uh, understanding in James 1, somewhere in verse 21, he's talked about the tongue. And then he continues to pick up that theme as we see in verse 11. But look what he says in verse 5 of, of, of James chapter Three and following. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a, a, a world of, of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, the tongue is... Is, is dangerous. We gotta be so careful about our words. We have to use them appropriately. We have to use them rightly and understand, and the scriptures talk about this. People love gossip. You read the Proverbs, you won't read long before you find the repeating refrain of how the flesh longs to hear bad information about other people. And how the tongue sets all that on fire and how it creates conflict and pain. And, and we have a responsibility as a family of faith to protect one another's relationships and reputations especially. And, and so as we think about this this morning, be mindful of what God has called us to. He wants us, for his namesake, to protect one another's um, reputations. He expects us to be wise with our words and honor him by honoring one another because an outside world is watching. What are they seeing? What are they hearing? Be mindful of what Peter said to the dispersed church in his letter, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Listen, God is at work in our midst. There, there is a work that is going on that you and I can't see. Maybe we're praying for it. Maybe we should be praying for it. We have to be mindful that, that there is a work that's going on. And when we badmouth other believers, we can many times contaminate the work that the Lord is doing there and cause it to suffer. We've got to be, we've got to be protectors of one another's reputations. We have to understand it's not just our actions that matter. It's our reputation Listen, in our image-driven culture, it's just not what we do. It's how people perceive us that matters. And a reputation, a reputation is crucial. 
We have some friends who have a little preschooler, and, and he has a great reputation for honesty. He always tells the truth. Now, he gets in trouble. He pushed a little boy down. Uh, teacher heard about it, went up and said, did you push him down? Yes, I did. We'll go sit in timeout. Well, all right. And he did. Well, a, a couple weeks ago, we found out that a little boy went up and said, he pushed me. Teacher brought him over and said, did you push this other little boy? He said, nope, I didn't push him. She said, well, I didn't, he didn't push him. And the other one started making a case. Well, he did push me, and he did this, and he did this. After a couple of minutes, this little girl came and said, he didn't push him, that one did. She told on the other kid, right? But you know, I thought, wow, here this kid is with such a great reputation. No matter how strong an argument the other one made, that teacher knew this kid's honest. If he did it, he would have said it. Our reputation matters. See, when we get a reputation for love and for grace, it's not that we get a reputation for being perfect. Nobody's perfect. That little boy's not perfect. He loves to push other people down. I get it. I used to do it too, right? I got the report cards that can prove it. My kids pulled out my report cards, and I couldn't believe this. From kindergarten to fourth grade, I got in trouble for the same thing, pushing other kids down. Who would have thought me, right? All sweet-natured, right? But here this boy, he's got this reputation. What's our reputation? So important that we be mindful and I'll tell you, I got a real personal beef with this. There's a reason why it took me a little while to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And here it was. It's not that the faith didn't make sense to me. It's that the people didn't. See, I, I was around other believers and I saw no need to become more like them because they were already like me. The way they talked, the way they lived, there was nothing really for me to attain to. There was nothing really different that I could see until I met some authentic believers and they blew my mind. Not that they were, not that they were like perfect, but there was love and their faith was real. And so when the Lord began to deal with me, I love the way uh, Peter says this, uh, on the day of visitation, when the, when the Lord visited me on, on that summer in 1988, I couldn't escape. I couldn't make any more excuses. I had seen the faith lived out in others and they had a reputation for it being real and it became real to me. By the power of the Spirit, but by the reputation of this church. Friends, it's important as a church family that we protect each other's reputation because in protecting each other's reputation, we protect our reputation, which enables us to be effective in accomplishing God's kingdom purpose for us. And so as we look at this, as we talk about being better together, make note of these two things as we look at James 4.11 today. As a family of faith, we protect reputations better together by, first of all, look at this, speaking the truth of grace to one another and not lies about one another. Look at that now. The truth of grace. The truth of grace to one another and not lies about one another. See, protecting reputations, it, it doesn't mean that we ignore each other's sin. It's not what it is. It's not that we fake it or we pretend. We deal with it we deal with each other's sin, but we do it in the way that Jesus dealt with it and deals with it. How does Jesus do it? One of my favorite passages, I've been, I've been quoting it all along the series, is John 1.14. And the word became flesh. Jesus Christ, God, became human and dwelt among us. He lived a life on this planet. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father. Look what he was full of. Grace and truth. 
When Jesus dealt with my sin, he didn't say, oh, Pettis, it's not a big deal. It's, it's going to be all right. It's not what, that's not what happened. I was under deep conviction. I was reading Alexis's testimony this morning, who was just baptized, and, and she was talking about the deep conviction she felt for several days, even a couple of weeks, as the Spirit of God began to, to deal with her on her sin. And that sin, God didn't beat around the bush. God spoke to it plainly. You have sin. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't lie about our sin. He deals with our sin, but he does it with grace. Because he knows that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so Jesus is able to deal with us on our issue of sin because he does it with grace. And so must we. We must deal with sin, but do it with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about the three circles around here, but do you think about it in terms of how you explain to other people how God is at work in your life and in theirs? Listen, we know God's design is harmony and perfection. And we know that sin has caused brokenness in our world. And if we want to, we can sit around and complain about the brokenness we still see. Or what God has called us to do is to talk about the good news that Christ has come. For our sakes, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And for our sakes, he who knew no sin, God, became sin. He took on our sin on the cross. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that we could become righteous. So that we could have a right standing with God and be saved by grace. Now in that moment, those of us who believe, we did not become perfect in the way we live, but we became perfect in our relationship with God. That's what happens in, in the moment of salvation. When we repent and we say, Lord, I know I've sinned. You've revealed to me my sin. I repent of that, and I believe that Jesus has died for my sin. I believe that Jesus has been, been raised, as we were singing. I believe in the resurrection, and he's given me new life. I believe in that life, and now I'm free to pursue and recover God's design. That means that nobody here is perfect. That means that there's still work for God to do in our lives. And what we're simply saying is, not that we're perfect, but that we have been made right with God, so now we're free to pursue and recover God's design. And what our message needs to be to the world, it's not that we're better than you, it's not that we're perfect, it's that God has redeemed us. Now we're free to pursue and recover God's design. And so as we see sin in one another, it's not that we're not to say anything about it, but it's how we say and when we say and what we say that's important. See, if you see a brother or sister in Christ in sin, you have a responsibility to talk to them about it. Look what it says in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone isn't caught in any transgression and sin, you who are spiritual, again, that doesn't mean perfect, that means those of you who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, having been given the righteousness of Christ and are now pursuing recovering God's design, you who are pursuing and recovering God's design, you should restore him as a, in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. Not arrogantly. Humbly. And keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. You are to come to others gently, 
and go directly to them. Not speaking evil against one another. Go directly to the brother or the sister and say, I see this in your life. And I know you want to pursue and recover God's design. And we can only do that by the power of the gospel. You've got to repent of this sin. You've got to believe in the power of the living Christ in your life. And you've got to pursue and recover God's design. And you do that with gentleness and humility. Growing up in sports, I've seen all kinds of athletes. And the one athlete that gets under my skin more than any other is the great athlete who complains about all the players on their team that are so bad. It doesn't matter if it's little league or grown adults. You can see it, and you can see it even in in press conferences today. You can see these athletes who are like, well, thank goodness I'm on this team because look at these losers I got to play with. Goodness gracious. And I've seen it in in, in attitudes and all kinds of, but what a joy it is to see an athlete who is fully capable, who when is, is being set up by a reporter to say something negative about the teammates, refuses to do it. We're getting better. We're working on it. We're a team. We're, we're, we're better together. We're gonna be working on this. You know, as a pastor, I see it in the church. I see some of those, see the, some of those family members. Well, Jesus, aren't you glad I'm here today? Look at these losers who showed up to your house. Thank goodness I'm praising your name because look at, you know, she can't, my goodness. Woo! You know, there's just this attitude of, wow, isn't everybody glad I'm here today? And, and all the angels go, does he think we don't see what he does after he leaves? Does he think that God can't see his heart? You know what? You know Jesus loves to see the saint who comes in and says, you know what? God's at work. Praise God. God's at work in me. God's at work in our community. And if I see sin, I'm going to go to my brother and my sister. I, I'm going to go gently. And I'm going to go fully aware that whatever they're dealing with, I could easily stumble into And so I'm not going to go high and mighty thinking that I'm somehow better than them, but fully aware that the world and and the flesh and the devil at work in my life could bring me to that point of disobedience. I'm going to go humbly and gently and say, dear friend, this is not the life God has called you to live. And we go to one another. We don't talk about one another. And please, please, don't fool yourself. When you're talking about a prayer request and it's gossip God knows well I just want to pray for sister so and ho so because you know she's really struggling with some sins I've got an unspoken for this person because mm -hmm, that is wrong that is wrong listen it's it's not okay to go and here he goes again what an idiot oh good grief No, what do you do? You go to your brother. Get him by the shoulders. Look at him and say, you are an idiot. You know it. I know it. God knows it. But so am I. But yours is really on display. you got to stop. You don't go and tell everybody else what an idiot is. You go and tell him. You lovingly tell them. you got to stop. What you're doing is wrong. You don't go and have a prayer meeting for anybody. And, and friends, let me give you one more thing. Be so very careful when you're at home and when you're among trusted friends. Don't let your guard down. There's a tendency just to think, well, I'm home, I can say what I want, or I'm just among friends, I can say what I want. No, you cannot. 
I saw a young adult recently. Went over and put my arm around him and said, man, what's going on with you? I haven't seen you in a while. And he was very kind to me. I can remember several years ago, more than a decade ago, his parents had a conflict with a leader in our church and they left the church over it. And I know that he heard everything that his parents thought about that person. And I talked to him about getting back in the church. He said, yeah, I should probably get back in the church, but I would never attend Living Hope ever again based on the way that went down with my parents. And I just thought, your parents failed you. See, it, you should anticipate having conflict with other sinners. You're a sinner, they're a sinner, we're sinners, there's gonna be conflict among sinners. But what we don't need to do is go run our mouths and talk about the other sinners as though we're not. I was talking to a, a pastor friend, young pastor I mentor, and he was venting. He was talking to me about some of the things going on in church. And then I heard him address his son. I said, is your son in the room right now? He said, yeah. I said, could you go over to him real quick? I want you to put me on hold. I want you to apologize to him for saying everything you just said in his presence and let him know that you love Jesus and you love your church and then step outside and I'd like to talk to you a little bit more. He's like, all right. Got on about two minutes later and boy, did I tell him that he was not intelligent. I said, buddy, it's fine for you to talk to me but do not defame your church in front of your child. You just gave that child enough ammunition to never want to go to church again. He said, well, it's true. I said, there's a lot of things that are true about you. You want me to go put it on Facebook? Well, I didn't think about it like that. You weren't thinking. Friends, we got to think. Think about what you're saying and to whom you are saying it and who is hearing it. Do not badmouth the church in front of your children. Do not badmouth the church in front of non-believers. If you've got a problem with someone, go talk to the person. Don't talk about the person. Go gently. Galatians 6.1 and seek restoration. Go with truth, yes, but grace. And do not speak evil. Second thing I, I want you to get is this. As a family of faith, we protect reputations better together by speaking the evidences of grace about one another and not judgment of one another. Look what it says. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Listen, God has not called any single one of us to judge another person for that which they have not yet attained to in grace. It's not your job. It's not your job to go around talking about what people have not yet become in Christ. It's not your job. If you see them in sin, go talk to them. Don't talk about them. Don't speak evil about them as though the gospel is not powerful enough to bring about transformation. Speak of what the gospel is doing. Speak of the evidences of grace, the good that God is doing in their lives. Years ago, I was at a high school athletic event and uh, was with uh, one of the athletes who just wanted to make small talk. They'd just gotten their report cards out. And so I said, well, hey, how, how, how'd you do on your grades? And she said, oh, I did great. I got all A's and a C and a D and an F. 
what do you say in response to that? I mean, because you can't say, well, that's great. Because that's a lie. I mean, you can't say, well, that's awful. What's wrong with you? And you can't say that. So I think it just must have been a Holy Spirit moment because I said, well, some A's. That's great, A's. So we talked, well, what subject did you get those A's in? P.E. and art. Awesome. Fantastic. So you showed up every day. That's great. Someone said, what were you talking about? Oh, just report cards. Well, how'd she do? P.E. and art. A's, baby. A's. Spread the word. A's. Easily could have talked about what wasn't there. So it is with us. Friends, you want to find something evil to talk about someone else? You won't, you won't, worry. You won't have to try hard. But what about the evidence of God's grace that you can see? Has God done anything in their life that you can talk about? Talk about that. Don't talk about what they had not yet attained to. Talk about what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done in them up to this point. Listen, as a family of faith, if you want to find something wrong with somebody in this room, it will not be hard. We are sinners. No one ever amens that. I don't understand that. We are. But we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. I said, I'm going to do that one thing. And there's a work that's happening. We need to talk about that. I love what John Newton said. You, you, you got to get this one. Google this. I, I, I tweeted it earlier this morning. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, what can you see that someone has become? That's evidences of grace. Talk about that to them and about them. Protect their reputation. Do not talk about what they have not yet attained to. Talk about what they're seeking to attain for the glory of God and how God's glory has been revealed in some smaller or, or mighty way. How the gospel of God is doing its work in this person's life. Think about the, uh, the epistles that were written by the apostles on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Think about how they often begin those epistles. They were always writing about some problem or some issue within that church or within that region. You think about what, what under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the apostle Paul, writing to, to the church at Ephesus, how he began his letter. Look what he said in verse 15 and 16, chapter one. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I'm sure he heard other things. I'm sure other people could have talked about other things. But what did he hear about? What was the reputation that he was praising God for? For the faith in the Lord Jesus and your Lord and your love towards all the saints. Someone had protected the reputation of that church. They easily could have spread all kinds of stuff that was going on at church. And believe me, there was stuff going on in that church. But instead, what did Paul hear about? He heard about their faith and their love for the saints. Why? Because there were wise, godly people protecting the relationship of their brothers and sisters. Now, did he know other things that were going on? Sure he did. Did he address them in love? You bet. With grace and truth. But what, what was the message that was spread? What was the reputation 
that still main, was maintained even in Revelation when, when Jesus is dealing with the church. He's talking about their faith and their doctrine. What was the problem? They'd lost their first love and they needed to correct their behavior. Truth with grace. But here we see the apostle doing what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be speaking well of the evidence of how God has been at work in a person's life. If you see someone in sin, go talk with them. Let me ask you one more thing. If someone comes to you and starts talking about another believer, stop them in their tracks. Tell them to shut their mouth and read Galatians 6.1. Read Galatians 6.1. Tell them, if you know of someone who's in sin, go gently and restore them. What you're doing is evil. Shut your mouth. And then don't go tell everybody else. Well, guess what they were telling me? Because then someone needs to tell you to shut your mouth. And instead, go and restore. Well, I done told them what they done did. Then now you're doing it. Between one another, we talk about sin and we pray and we restore one another. Outside of here, we talk about evidences of grace. How we see that God has brought about some level of transformation in their life. We're not saying they're perfect. We all know that. What we're saying is what they once were is not all that they are now because the gospel's doing a work in their life. And let's celebrate God and his grace for the work that we can see of the goodness of the Lord in their heart. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Write this down. For credibility. For credibility. Our reputation. It impacts our effectiveness. Now look, this whole series, we've been talking about how we're better together. We've been talking about how we are a family, a family of faith. And, and there are some things, I, I wish there were so many other things I wanted to talk about. But here are the things that the Spirit led me to talk about with you. And, and all of our campuses and all of our locations, we talked about how we've got to bear burdens better together with one another. We've got to... If we someone, see someone hurting, we go and show them support. Yesterday I was on the phone at, at different times with people who were facing life and death situations. They knew I couldn't fix it. They just wanted to share. I am, I am so afraid for this family member that I love very much and, and I, I am afraid that they're not gonna live. Can you please pray? I prayed and said, I'm shouldering with you that burden, praying for you. That's what we all must do for one another. That's why we're better together. We, we have to offer kindness. It's easy to be mean. It's easy to be sarcastic. It's easy to be caustic in our tone. Be kind. Be what Jesus has been to you. Be kind to one another. We, we talked about, you gotta put that back up. We've got to make peace. Listen, in life with real people, there's going to be conflict. You're either about to get into a conflict, you're in the middle of a conflict, or you're coming out of a conflict. That's, that's where you are today. Make peace. How do you do it? You go gently and you talk about the issue 
You give forgiveness and you make it right. We gotta build each other's faith. We've been given the word. We need to be talking about how the word of God is changing us, how the word of God is coming alive to us. We need to do that regularly as a rhythm in our lives, gathering for the preaching of God's word, getting together in a small group of friends where we talk about the word, hold each other accountable, strengthen each other in the faith. And finally, we gotta protect reputations. We gotta guard our words, friends. We gotta use our words rightly. And understand, why do we do this? The credibility of our reputation impacts the effectiveness of our vision. And what is our vision? To be a family of disciples that makes disciples. If we go and invite someone to come and gather with us for worship, say, come, come worship with our church family, and they say, I am not gonna go to that church with a bunch of hypocrites. Here's what you say. You look them in the eye and say, don't worry, there's room for one more. Don't say that, that's just what I say. I'm just kidding, don't, 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 don't say that. Just, just say, listen, nope, we're not perfect, but we're seeking to pursue and recover God's design. We'd love for you to be a part of it. We're a family of disciples. What are disciples? People that are trying to pursue and recover God's design. We're not perfect, we're trying to pursue what God has for us. And listen, we want you to come and be a part of the journey. You can be a disciple. And what's our mission? To lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. We all know people, you know people. They're anchoring their life and their hope and their kids' success and their looks and their jobs and their incomes and their possessions and, and, and their experiences, how much fun they can have, how much stuff they can do, what they can post on Instagram. That's a dying hope. I wanna challenge you, church. I wanna challenge you with something. As we're entering to the summer, we're about to have kids camps, we're gonna have a church picnic in July, we're gonna have flip at the end of July. Here's what I wanna challenge you to do. To live on mission this summer and fulfill our vision to be a family of disciples, making disciples, sharing the gospel, the three circles, inviting people to come and join in this journey, inviting them to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. Who do you know right now who would say, if they were being entered into the hospital and they said, what's your religious affiliation? They would say, none. There's a designation that doesn't exist on most of that paperwork though, that exists for a majority of the people in our community. And if they were honest, they wouldn't put none, they would put done. They would say, I used to be a part of a church, but I'm done with that. We gotta, with the love of Jesus, care for them, encourage them, and invite them to be a part of our family. Invite them to the meal every Sunday. Share what the meal is doing in your life with them regularly, and pray for them. And that's what I wanna ask you to do this morning. Pray for those that you know that need Jesus. Pray for you and this church that we will keep our mouths in a right standing with the Lord, that we would speak well of the gospel and of what the evidences of grace that we see in our midst and pray that God would bring about redemption and reclamation of many that we know and love. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we all know people. We know them. We know they're hurting. We know that there's brokenness. We know that they need to anchor their life and hope in you, Lord Jesus, the only one that can save them, the only one that can give them meaning and strength and joy and peace and love that lasts forever. And so I, 
pray today that, that we are convicted about our words and that we would ask you, God, to use us to live on mission this summer, to increase the reputation, to make good the reputation of what you're doing in your church and to live on mission to help other people become a part of this family to anchor their life in hope in you. So God, as, as there are folks that are becoming mindful of some folks that they care about, would you hear them as they pray for them, as they pray for their witness, as they pray for the witness of this church? We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Let's sing together. Come and pray as, as the Lord kind of has spoken to you.